going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Roll for Persuasion. I'm your host, Andrew. Thank you guys so much for joining me each and every week for great conversations with uh, cool, nerdy people. People in the D&D space, gaming, tabletop, whatever they're into, I'm into, and it's always exciting to have them here talking with me about the stuff that they love doing. You know each and every week the show is brought to you by my friends at AwesomeDice.com. They are a place that sells you, guessed it, Awesome Dice. So if you want to support the show and your dice habit, please make sure you go to AwesomeDice.com. Use the code ROLLPERSUASION at checkout. You will save 10%. You will support the show. It will be awesome for everyone. And they are awesome people at AwesomeDice.com. So make sure that you check them out. Very excited for my guest today. Justice Man, what's going on? Not much. I was just thinking about how groovy that music was. You know what? Everyone says so, and I'm like, man, I picked a winner when I picked that song. It's so good. Yeah, I, I dig it a lot. So our, our guest today is Justice Armin. What's going on, dude? You uh, you taking care in the uh, in the pandemic? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm enjoying sitting here without my mask and wearing a lot of different masks uh, in and out of the workplace. Um, so it, it's good to be able to not have my face covered. <laughs> For sure. So for the people who maybe don't know who you are, uh, who are you? What do you do? Yeah. Um, so my name is Justice Armin. Uh, I am a surgical clinic manager based in central Texas. Um, I write all kinds of uh, fun things, mostly D&D uh, for the DMs Guild. And uh, I am a goblin at Beetle and Grimm's. That is my official title. I'm a goblin. Do you ever get promoted to orc or is it just different uh, you know, casts of goblin all the way down? It's just goblin and then founder. But we like to call the founders the overlords. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them don't like that. Some of them do like that. There are five of them and I won't reveal which ones do and don't <laughs> like the title of overlord. Whenever you get to the point of having an HR person, I feel like overlord becomes a problematic thing that they're always going to constantly be a little freaked out by. <laughs> Yeah, okay, call it something different, something different, something different. <laughs> over friend, call them over friend. <laughs> so yeah, so you write, you write lots of great uh, D&D content. Like you said, um, some of your stuff has been in Beetle and Grimm's uh, releases. You've done stuff on DM's Guild. And we will uh, we'll dig into all of that for sure. But, but let's start with this. How did you get into gaming and D&D specifically? Um, you know, it's so interesting. Um, I was... Scrolling through Twitter the other day, and I saw a post by uh, Tony DeTerlizzi. He does the uh, art and co-wrote the uh, Spiderwick Chronicles. Mm, yeah. um, I read those books when I was, I think I must have been nine or ten at the time. And uh, I had his field guide. And uh, I think for me, that was a lot like what the Monster Manual was to a lot of people growing up. Uh, and I never knew he did so much art for Planescape. Uh, until literally yesterday. Um, so I've always kind of been into fantasy um, and, you know, always playing video games, Legend of Zelda, stuff like that. Um, but um, I was living in Utah. I was an undergrad at Brigham Young University. And this this guy, um, Colin, uh, he came up to me and he said, hey, do you want to play Dungeons and Dragons? And I'd only ever really you know, seen it on cartoons and stuff where people are in their basement. And I was like, eh. and so I threw out some random character concept. I said, could I play a, a minotaur? And he's got a powdered wig and his name is Beethoven. And he makes six sick beats on his harpsichord. And he's like, yeah. 
bring your character <laughs> sheet and I'll see you Sunday. And so I showed up and I showed up every week since. Yeah, you can be any character you want to be as long as you show up regularly, right? Right. Yeah, that, yeah, that was the big thing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was lucky to uh, have a, a group of um, young college kids who also showed up regularly and we, we had a really great campaign together. That's really cool, man. So it, it, it's kind of fun talking with people. I'm like you. I got into D&D later in life, uh, post-college years specifically. But um, I talked to a lot of people who were like, oh, yeah, you know, my, my brother had the red box and I got into it when I was two years old. And I'm like, that's cool. It's super cool. But it's also, I think it's very interesting to find people who got into it later. So at that point, was it, mm-hmm. uh, was it fifth edition at that point? It was, it was actually 3.5. And I'll confess, I had no idea what was going on. Uh, he had all the books on his countertop. I can close my eyes and I can see his kitchen counter right now because we all had the same model of apartment. He lived like a block away from me. And, uh, those 3.5 books, there were like six of them and they were all super thick. And I said, I don't want to know any of that. You just tell me what I need to do. (laughs) So my character was super not optimized and barely ever made a dent. Um, and, uh, then I was walking in downtown Provo one day and I saw a big poster with um you know the fire giant on the PHB King Snur Iron Belly and they were like you know try the new Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition and I was like well what happened to fourth I'm playing three and a half and I walked in and you know I said uh, hey I think I want to buy that book I might want to be a DM and they're like oh my gosh yeah here let me show you and you know I went from there I DM'd a short Western campaign learned why uh, guns are not in D&D <laughs> for the most part. And uh, yeah, just had a lot of fun and then just have been DMing for about uh, six years now, I think. So having started as a player, what made you want to start running a campaign? You know, I think, I think it's the, you know, when I tend to like something, I get pretty obsessed about it. You know, I used to go through phases. I would alternate between, you know, the Transformers when I was, let's be real, not when I was younger. I have many Transformers now. I bought right, one like right. a month ago. Um, <laughs> That's, I, I totally understand as I sit under, a, I kid you not, a wall-to-wall shelf of Star Wars action fleet spaceships. So I'm there with amazing. you. Yeah. yeah. So I would go through phases and because I like to doodle, I would draw them and then I'd see something else that was cool. But something about D&D, especially not being one of those people who grew up with the Red Box, there's just this untapped wealth and you can never stop learning. And, and dungeon mastering is something that you can always improve at. And so it kind of filled that void of always having something to occupy my time. You know, by the time I feel like I've mastered one thing, there's a hundred other things. And then of course you'd never really master anything. Um, so it's, yeah, I don't know. It's just awesome. And, uh, I got to make my own stories and I had so many ideas that I was never going to burn through enough characters. <laughs> so I started making NPCs. <laughs> and so what was it then that really kind of drove you or led you to start writing your own, not, not just writing stuff at the table, but for other people to put into their games? Did you have an interest in writing previously or did it just kind of all happen organically no yeah i mean i i wrote stuff for my campaign and you know we would pass around the weekly recap and um i would you know players in our in our campaign they would write a couple sentences um Mm -hmm. or you know forget and write it the night before and I, i found every time i went to write the recap 
I wanted to portray how is this scene happening and I wanted to you know show them what was in my head when I'm not improvising it and I kept from there you know I'd write all these homebrew rules and stuff uh and so one day I I mean I ran a Halloween one shot for a group and I had it typed up basically so that someone could run it because I just had so many notes and uh so I put it in a, you know a, the Natural Crits home brewery and I threw it up on the DMs Guild and posted about it on Reddit and that kind of took off and people really liked it. And from there, I started writing like the following year when uh, MT Black uh, did a contest for one page adventure. So um, I was like, I can write one page. One page isn't bad. And then I figured out condensing an entire adventure on one page is really sure, hard. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then from there, I, I wrote Devil's Advocate and I kind of haven't stopped writing since then. Well, tell me a bit about Devil's Advocate, because I, I remember, I, I haven't, I confession, I haven't bought it, but okay. I remember coming across it on DMs Guild uh, before, I, before I knew who you were, um, and the idea, the idea of it really fascinated me. I'm very, I'm very intrigued by the idea of the seven hells and devils and demons and, mm -hmm. and that whole um, concept. I'd love to play Avernus at some point and, you know, kind of really dig into that whole mythos. Um, but specifically devil's advocate, a guide to infernal contracts. So, so, so what is it? What was kind of your concept when you wrote that piece? You know, I was talking with my wife and I said, um, I was like, Hey, this, this adventure is coming out and it's based in hell. And, uh, you know, I've been listening to these YouTube videos about it and I think maybe they're going to have a little bit of contracts in there, but I didn't think that they'd have a ton. And I, I kind of wanted to dive deeper into it. And I kind of wanted to release something before the book came out. That was like my take on contracts. I wanted it before the, the book. So that way people wouldn't be like, well, this guy's stuff sucks. Look what Chris Perkins wrote. Um, so I released it, I think a couple months before, I think I released it in July and it came out in September. Um, but I really wanted to dive in because I, I, I like to kind of turn something on its head. And I remember searching for a warlock pact before. And the only thing you can find when you search for that as far as rules is usually someone's personal, you know, long packed written specifically for one character that you can kind of take some things from, but not quite write your own based on it. Yeah. Um, and legalese is something that people see and it's intimidating just to start. So how can I write something like that? And um, kind of, you know, with my other stuff, I had some ideas, I wrote them down and I I uh, kept kept writing and adding things and there was a natural structure to it because of my health law class. <laughs> we talked about contract law and there's all those five points of a contract. I said, oh, here's some structure. That'll be good. And um, from there, you had stuff like uh, I started to ask questions like, well, what happens when you time out your contract? Who comes to get you? So then I wrote these three collection agents and I said, you know. What else? What does signing a contract look like? Is it always in blood? You know, and uh, I love roll tables. So I just kept putting roll tables in there. <laughs> That's super cool. I, I, one of the things that I enjoy about uh, 5e and D&D in general is that while it wasn't, my understanding is that early on when it was like D&D next, like playtest, it was a bit more modular mm -hmm. in, in intent. And it's kind of, I guess, lost some of that um, now, but it's still very easy to plug in and fill in gaps, right? So, yeah. so it gives you kind of this big, broad range of stuff to be excited about or intrigued by. And, you know, says 
devils like contracts and they like, you know, wrapping up in this legalese and all that. And it's Mm -hmm. kind of just there for you as someone like yourself to, to flesh out and build and really use that as a platform to make some really cool and really interesting stuff. So, Mm -hmm. um, I, I just, I love pieces like this that expound and and build on these smaller aspects in the book. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was super interesting. Also like looking at the pages online, the art is super great. Do you, do you like collaborate with certain artists like for your publication? I was about to just talk about that. Yeah. So, um, I did a little bit of the art, but, um, Gwen Bassett, she did the cover and I knew I wanted to have a glowing contract and she delivered so hard. And I think the reason why I, one of the big reasons I went with Gwen, I, when I started writing, um, you know, as someone who's privileged to have a full-time job, I thought I'm going to start this right. I'm going to pay creators fairly. Um, I'm going to try and, you know, have diverse teams. And um, so I, when I went to my wife to give her my idea, I said, hey, I want to spend a good amount on this. I think the product ended costing me a little over $600. It, it was almost right on 666 on the dot. Um, luckily, I made that back now. It was a gamble. And my wife, I told Sam, I was like, hey, I might never make any of this back. I might sell two copies. And she was like, well, do you want to do this? I said, yeah. And uh, she thought it was good and it was right. And uh, so I had seen Gwen's art and I was looking at her portfolio. I reached out to her um, and I said, hey, I really want to have a devil that's a, a female, but not a succubus. Right. I want her to be clothed. I want her to be cool. I want her to. And she she brought that 80s hair to it. You know, it's so cool. And then uh, uh, Anna from Double Proficiency, um, she did Anna Urbanek. She did the layout. And then I got with Jack Kaiser, who's a. a pretty uh, prominent fantasy artist and uh, um, Jeremy Hart Illos. Those are the other two artists I use on the inside. Of course, um, Dean Spencer, he has all kinds of free, uh, not free royalty, um, commercially available art that you can license for your products. And so um, I relied on those pretty heavily because I I couldn't commission 10 pieces. Right. Sure. um, But I could commission four. (laughs) Four great ones. Yeah. So, so you, you did this, I'm kind of, and I'm looking at your portfolio right now. Um, at what point did you start working on stuff more with MT? Cause I, I know let's jump ahead right now. Cause you just released pretty recently, right? Elminster's Candlekeep Companion. Is that, that's a fairly new release, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I'd been a big fan of MT's, um, for a while because he had kind of brought me out into the writing world with that lonely scroll adventure contest and uh the other artist so i got um best wilderness adventure on that for um this eye of the storm adventure but the 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 big cheese went to anthony joyce um and i call anthony probably every day every other day at least we talk to each other on the phone all the time he's a great guy um i've worked with him on i think four or five projects now um and we're on another one now um and both he and i um you know, we're really big fans of MT Black. Um, we admire his work. He's always been super willing to reach out to new creators uh, to kind of help us understand things, avoid pitfalls that, that he's made early on. And uh, so we reached out to him about being a consultant on Candlekeep uh, because both of us had sent him a few messages a few times. Hey, what's your thoughts on this? You know, can you mentor us in this way? And um, from there, uh, he actually had some writing that he did uh, an adventure in the Candlekeep supplement um, for Descent to Avernus. 
um, that expands upon something in the chapter that's just a, really a few paragraphs. Um, but uh, he, he really believed in, in our kind of the vision we had for that and uh, came aboard. And, and now he's actually writing on something with us, um, a project we're working on right now that I'm really excited about. What has it kind of been like for you um, getting into your adventure writing and, and publishing this stuff? What has it been like seeing the response that people have had to the creations that you're putting out into the world? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been mostly, mostly good. You know, um, I feel like there, you know, there's always that fear of missing out. You have, <laughs> you see all these cool projects going on, you want to jump on them. And, uh, so you say yes to a bunch of stuff, you get super busy. So when, when something, when you put something out and it's response is well received, it's awesome. It's like a high, it lasts, you know, anywhere from a week to a couple of weeks. And we were really, really pleased with how Candlekeep did. Um, of course, you know, that's, that was, I co-led that with Anthony. That was a huge team effort, you know, Teos Abadia, um, uh, Enrique Bertrand, MT, all consulted, uh, Ed Greenwood consulted and wrote with us. Laura Herzbrenner did the art. Um, Gordon McAlpin um, did the layout and Jeremy Forbing. And, and Trevor Armstrong did a lot of the uh, internal writing and uh, Bob, uh, Bob Gravenstein from Great Grim Press. He did um, all the artwork and that awesome Elminster on the front. Um, and uh, I don't know, it just came together. And uh, I was I was I was really happy with the response, especially um, it had been a little while since we released something. And me and Anthony, we would be talking about it. And, it, you know, it's such an endurance game to write about books for a few months. <laughs> it's not like you're writing about dragons or stuff. Right. You know, you're writing the fifth paragraph about how these books are stored and how they avoid water damage. And you're like, Oh, are people going to even like this? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but it, you know, it's such an iconic location. And, um, a few years back, the bard in my group, his name was Dren Thistlefoot, um, played by my good friend, Rick, uh, 53 year old, um, you know, former Marine. Um, and, uh, he, he played this 17 year old halfling who, you know, lore bard loved knowledge. Of course he wanted to go to Candlekeep and there is nothing out there for Candlekeep. It is so spread out. And mechanically I was so at a loss at how to DM it. Yeah. And so, you know, it must've taken maybe 20 minutes of game time, which is not what that place deserves. Um, so when we wanted to do this, it was a no brainer and it, I don't know, I think we did a good job and especially having Ed on there to kind of fill in the gaps in the history oh, for and sure, yeah. have a definitive, yes, this is how it was founded. Um, that was a, you know, really rare opportunity, super humble to get to work with, uh, Ed, um, and kind of unreal, honestly, <laughs> kind of like the father of the forgotten realms, essentially. Yeah, I, I mean, I told Ed, you are Candlekeep. You are the right. largest living repository of all the realms lore there is. So you have to help us. <laughs> that's, that's the only way it would work, right? That makes right. sense. I, I think Elminster's, it's already platinum on DM skill. Is that right? It is. And we got really lucky with the timing of that and the Play It Forward event. Oh, yeah, that, that, that's true. That must have been really, really awesome timing, actually. Yeah, I remember when I saw that, I was sitting at work and I saw that tweet and I was like, oh my gosh, I just started sweating. I was like, that's not real. <laughs> this is going to be a hoax. <laughs> that's awesome. 
So you've had several different things go platinum. Your stuff is really popular, well-reviewed. When did you get involved with uh, Beetle and Grimm and, and working on some of the stuff that they have out? Um, so I met uh, Beetle and Grimm. I, I, well, I met, I met the founders um, all except for Matt in 2018 uh, at Gen Con when they were about to release the platinum edition of Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Um, I remember going to their booth. It was in the Wormwood booth. And I met Bill, Bill Rahor. He's one of the founders. Um, and his, my hospital's name shared his hospital's name. And I was, and, uh, we got to talking about healthcare. He's actually an emergency department director. Oh, okay. And uh, so we kind of bonded over that. And, you know, I came back the next day and I chatted with him and, you know, got the courage to ask for his email and meet some of the other uh, folks there. And, uh, kind of started a correspondence with him that lasted for about a year uh, until at the following Gen Con was the first time I actually, you know, sat down and worked for them at a booth. Uh, And, you know, I got to talking to him, got to know him better. And I said, hey, I've actually started writing. Here's what I worked on lately. And I showed him Devil's Advocate. And they're like, wow, this is really good. I'm like, thank you. And uh, so they kind of brought me on uh, and uh, I've been working with them about, Almost a year now. So. Oh wow. Yeah, and and unfortunately, sadly, with everything going on, I think it was just announced today that Gen Con is officially canceled, which is the right thing to do, but a huge bummer, right? Right. Yeah, and I mean that con is so big. I remember I was the first time I went was Gen Con fifty, and uh, there I think something like two hundred thousand unique guests that year. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I remember I think Critical Role was there live, and they you know they just went all out for it. And that was, that would have been the first year I went and I drove up there. It was a 16 hour drive from Waco. Uh, we did it in one day. Oh gosh. <laughs> and then we went Saturday and then I drove us all back the next oh, day. Oh my gosh, man. <laughs> that's intense. I was just fried. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's literally running on fumes. Yeah. This was going to be my first, uh, my first Gen Con. Really? Year, so yeah. Well, so you'll go next year. I bet you it'll be awesome. They're going to, yeah. everybody's going to be going big. I bet next year. So that's kind of a, I, I think a good, not moral of the story, but I, it, that's a good kind of point to make, like stepping back to what you said a second ago that, you know, you were in correspondence with, uh, was it Bill, mm-hmm. um, for, you know, like for over a year before that kind of came to fruition yeah. in a job sense, because I, I think that D and D is such a creative melting pot of opportunity for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've talked about this on the show before, if you want to write, there's room for you. If you want to make art, if you want to make stuff out of wood or metal, or if you want to do a podcast, like there's so many ways to be involved in what D and D is. And for people that want to kind of have that grow as a career or even just bigger opportunities. I think it can be hard sometimes to remember that not everyone, you know, made it to the next step overnight, right? Mm-hmm. There was like time and effort and energy and, and sometimes relationship building that just has to kind of, uh, you know, percolate and simmer and, and take its mm-hmm. time. So it's encouraging for me as a creative, but I think for other people out there who listen and are also on a creative path yeah. to be reminded like, Hey, you know, it's okay that the lightning hasn't struck in your first six months or whatever. Right. It, it takes some time. Right. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of really uh, great creatives out there who, who didn't have their, their first kind of thing explode. And yeah. I remember I used to sit I, I, when I was in Tennessee, that's where my family lives uh, over, uh, you know, a break composing an email to bill to follow up after the convention. And I swear every time I sent him an email, I must've spent an hour 
making sure everything was perfect, rereading it, handing it to my wife and saying, what do you think of this? Is this too forward? You know, and, uh, you know, they had no idea. Um, they knew this guy wanted to work for them. Um, but I also think that the important lesson too is, is to focus, you know, a lot of people shotgun and, you know, they send out a mass email or a mass tweet and they change a couple words, but know who you want to work for and look for the path to get there and just buckle down on it. Um, if there's two things I know, it's that one, I want to write for Wizards of the Coast one day. And that I wanted to work for Beetle and Grimm's. And those two things, those are the only things that I really went for. That's a great point. And, and that is the, I think that's a temptation in any field, but, but for a creative of like, like, okay, well, what else can I do? What can I say yes to? And suddenly you're so buried and you're so broad. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did professional photography for a, a decade, I guess. Um, and I would often tell people this, the same thing would happen in photography. Somebody would go in uh, you, I'd go look at someone's site. They'd be like, Hey, check out my work. Let me know what you think. What could I improve? And you go look at their site and they're like, and you click portfolio. And it's like wedding and sports and portraits and macro and landscapes <laughs> and horses. And like, yeah. I'm like oh, here, pick two things. Like, right. even if you shoot more than that, like, even if you as a creative are doing more than, than the things you put out, put out, like show your two best things that you are really passionate about mm-hmm. and then focus your energy towards achieving those things, building those things up. So mm-hmm. yeah, it can be, it can be very tempting to shotgun blast. Like you said, scattershot. And you know, and you can get, you can get stretched really thin on all those too. Um, yeah. um, you know, Anthony, I've written with him so many times now, you know, I'll tell him, I'll say, man, this week has been crazy. I feel kind of burned out. Uh, I've got a lot going on. He's like, well, you know, you're doing too much. You've got this blog going, you're sitting here, you're on Twitter. You got this and this. He's like, you need to focus back up, <laughs> you know, find out where you're going to go. And, uh, you know, he'll just ground me sometimes. And, and uh, it's it's very helpful to put stuff in, in perspective like that. I mean, um, you know, you said you're from uh, uh, Houston. Yeah. I remember sitting in a Starbucks in Humble sending uh, LinkedIn requests to anybody at all that I could have any sort of link to up in Seattle. Yeah. Because, you know, working for some of these companies, when you live a thousand miles away, you can't network. It's hard. And yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the conventions being closed. I know that hits a lot of creatives because some of them, that's your only chance to get 10 right. words in with some of these right. people. So um, hopefully, you know, everything will get under control. We'll get a vaccine and, you know, people can start meeting in person again because it's so much of it relies on it. It seems like every convention is going to almost feel like a high school reunion, but without all the weird <laughs> drama, just like, holy cow, you know, like even people that you don't know. Right. <laughs> But it, it, it'll be cool, especially, I mean, I've been to one convention. I went to South or PAX South a couple of years ago. And so this year I was like, cool, I'm going to Emerald City. I'm going to go to D&D Live, which they didn't even bother announcing because it just wasn't going to happen. Gen Con, Game Hole, and now it's all like yeah. Dragon and 21. So I think it's going to be really fun and, and really special those first cons back once we all kind of, you know, come out from our caves and, and see what the world looks like. Oh, they're going to sell out for sure. That first one, whoever's first to the table at that convention is just, it's going to sell out for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, and, and I'm the same way. I've only been to a few cons. I went to Gen Con a few times and then Game Hole Con for the first time last year. But other than that, not, not really a whole lot of the con scene. Didn't realize how big they were. Sure. Know? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm sure one of these, uh, when, when we come out, I'm sure we'll run into each other one. So that, I hope that'll so. be fun. That'd be awesome. Yeah. 
So let's take a real quick second here. I want to say a quick word for one of my awesome sponsors who happens to be up in Seattle, uh, Talon and Claw. Um, you guys know how much I love them because they just make awesome, beautiful, just custom wooden gear for your D&D tabletop games. I will have to double check. I don't want to you know, promise something that is actually passed. But there is a small chance that when this episode comes out that they will just be wrapping up their Whiskey Barrel Dice Vault Kickstarter, which props to them. I think they hit $20,000 today, which I think was like 200x what they were hoping for. So it's been super cool to see a small creator be successful in the community. If they're still going, and even if they're not, go check them out because these Whiskey Barrel Dice Vaults are awesome. They take these Whiskey Barrel lids that just smell like the most delicious bourbon in the world. They chop them up and they make a great place to store your dice in. So if you have a chance to support them, Definitely go check them out. You can go to tinyurl.com slash whiskey vault and see the Kickstarter page. And if it's over, you can just drool over the pictures. Um, but you can also support them at talonandclaw.etsy.com. If you use the code Roll Persuasion, you save 10%. And once again, you support the show. So you're supporting two small time creatives uh, for the price of a dollar or whatever, $40, whatever it is you spent. You help us both. So we both appreciate that. I appreciate their support on the show. Make sure you check them out, Talon and Claw. They are awesome. So you mentioned, you know, kind of one of your goals or dreams kind of being to write for wizards. Is there a particular setting like that's been published that you would love to dig into or that you look at and go like, oh man, I would have loved to work on Waterdeep or Avernus or, or, um, or is there something that hasn't been touched yet that you would love to get to kind of dig your hands into? You know, I find myself every time a book comes out, I'm so excited for that book. I really, I really don't think that there's anything that I wouldn't be happy to work on. Um, you know, when somebody tells me, oh, you need to check out Dark Sun. Dark Sun's so cool. I'm like, ooh, what's Dark Sun? I'm like, oh, that's where the three cream came from. That really cool. Um, and uh, well, actually, I think they were in Monster Manual, too. From, I did them for a Monster Monday recently, and they showed up there again. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, Descendo Avernus was announced. And I was like, whoa, that's amazing. I want to go to hell. And then, you know, just every book just seems awesome. So, um, yeah. and, and even when it comes to things like Eberron that I don't know at all about, it's always interesting to learn about. It's like, Oh, dragon mark tattoos. That's amazing. I want a birthmark that gives me power. Yeah. So, well, you know, fingers crossed, hopefully that, uh, that comes down the road. Um, when this, when your episode comes out, it will, a couple weeks ago, listeners will have heard my interview with, uh, James Haig, who is, uh, does yeah. a lot of writing. For, have you met James before? You know, he stopped by the Beetle and Grimm's booth at Game Hocon, and I did not have the courage to interrupt and say, you're awesome. <laughs> um, but I follow his articles. He, he's a great writer. Yeah. Um, Hannah Rose, uh, his fiance, you know, she does all the awesome editing. They're both really great creatives that I think um, are just positive members of this community, and uh, I really appreciate them. So next time... I'll be more courageous and say hello for sure. Well, well his, uh, it was fun talking with him cause his path to kind of where he is now, um, was a little similar kind of started with self publishing and putting mm -hmm. work out there and, and slowly like moving forward. So it, it's cool. Yeah. And he was an article writer for Ian. World, yeah, yeah. 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 Kind of back in the day. And I think editor for them as well. So, um, it definitely does seem to be a, a field where if you are talented and, and your work is good and you, you have a good grasp of what you're doing, um, and the kind of the material and the, uh, the lore that there really is that kind of opportunity to move up. If anything, from what I've heard from, you know, people involved with wizards, 
is, you know, they, they just care about your content. They just care about like the <laughs> quality of what you're making. Right. So if you can make good quality stuff and you're not a dick, um, I think that those are kind of the two, two prereqs to, uh, to be successful the move forward. Yeah. <laughs> one and two. And, and honestly, any, anybody can do it too. Sure. You know, before I started writing, I would say that my greatest writing accomplishment was junior year of undergrad. I wrote a 13 page paper on Batman versus Superman and I got a 97 on it. And, uh, that was all I really had to my name <laughs> until I started. That's super cool. So yeah, again, you don't have to have formal training. You really don't have to have formal training in any creative field. You just have to go and do and practice and uh, grow. Right. Mm -hmm. So do you, do you get to play in any games or do you primarily DM? You know, I primarily DM, um, but the past few weeks I've been playing in a game, um, with, uh, Gabe, James games, um, Latia, uh, she's a, a D and D adventures league community yeah, organizer, yeah. uh, critical bard and, uh, uh, Liz at Raptor handed, uh, DM'd by, uh, JB little, um, also known as drop the die on Twitter. And we've been playing all rogues. So that's been a super interesting experience. Uh, yeah. I had actually never played a rogue and occasionally I'll, I'll guest play in someone's game or, or take off a week and let one of my players DM. Um, but, but primarily DMing. So I, I asked that to ask this then as a writer who, you know, um, loves new content that comes out when a new adventure comes out, do you go and just read the adventure or do you go, Oh, I might get to play that someday. I don't want to spoil it. Oh, I read it. I read it and I spoil it because you know, as, as you write, I, I try to wizards of the coast has said that they, you know, pay attention to, to writers who write relevant things. So the latest hardcover adventure, they want content that comes out that's related to that. Um, so and for me, I'm always thinking, you know, what's the next campaign I want to run for my players? Because yeah. I always, I love running the official adventures. I know a lot of people, um, you know, they like to do homebrew, but I, and while I love my, I love the homebrew campaign we did, it's just so time intensive. I'd rather have the skeleton already done and I can embellish within that framework. I don't have yeah. to know. I don't have to answer the question. What am I going to plan four weeks from now? It's, hey, here's the dungeon that they're going to reach in four or five weeks. And uh, I can spice it up with. Yeah. Do you, have a, do you have something that you've written or maybe even a game that you've run that you just feel particularly proud of or that you think back of and just kind of brings a smile to your face? You're like, oh, man, you know what? I wrote that and I felt really great about it. Or, or I ran that game and you know what? That felt really good. So... um our once we finished our Storm King's Thunder campaign, uh, I'm a big fan of Norse mythology, and mm -hmm. we I wrote out a like a nine level take them to twenty um, campaign involving uh, Norse mythology and Loki and the frost and fire giant gods, and <laughs> there was a about a six month long con where. Uh, the paladin in our group who was an Asimar, he, uh, his angelic guide got replaced at one point. And I knew deep down it was Loki the entire time trying to like goad him towards this proper prophecy. And they got so attached to this NPC. Not once did they divine sense him. They even tr got so close at one point and I had to like diffuse it in character. <laughs> but, uh, that reveal of that night where yeah. they figured out that, that, to lay seal this angel that they trusted they got advice from that he was loki it was one of the 
best moments. And I still think about it late at night when I'm lying in bed. I will creep that sinister smile across my face. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, they used to have hashtag no trust in our group me. <laughs> Anytime I would say something for like five weeks after that session, right. they'd be like, can we even believe you though? Or are you just Loki trying to pull one over you on us? You sit on a throne of lies. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And they like to say the phrase low key a lot and like on the down low, hey, he's low key doing this. And every time they say that, I go, do you mean low key? And they're like, ah, oh, stop it. <laughs> That's awesome. It's fun that like moments like that um, are super memorable in your game uh, in, in two different ways, right? Like, like where you as the DM kind of pull off the long con and they get close, but no one ever actually like pulls it off. Um, my group did uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist not too long ago, which I assume you've read. Mm-hmm. Um, we just finished yeah. running it. Yeah. Oh, okay. So uh, I'll, for people who haven't played, I will try and not spoil this. There, whatever, it might be a spoiler. There's a character <laughs> in the game uh, who is, who could be discovered about using divine sense mm-hmm. and um do you know who i'm talking about i'm guessing you're yeah, talking yeah. about summer did you do no, summer uh, yeah summer i think okay yeah, yeah. With the, yeah, the yeah. castle lanterns um anyway we walk in in my group uh my good friends running the game we walk in to the first encounter with this npc super cordial nothing suspicious at all and uh and his wife are uh she was a paladin um, immediately he's like, I don't know. I do. I cast divine sense. And he's like, God damn it. <laughs> and like, and so he wanted to pull a long con and he did it. And the fact that we, we figured it out immediately through a total random, you know, just shotgun blast of the one time yeah. she did it, I think all game. Um, that is a memory that we still talk about. So it's, right. it's so great that you can have those moments that you talk about as if they actually happened. Right. You're talking about them in character. You're, you're, you're not just saying, oh, remember when we were playing a game and you were doing a thing? It was like, oh, remember when you cast a spell and you did this? Right, yeah. It's such a cool story and moment to share together. Yeah, we, one of our um, friends, Tomas, he he played all of our Storm King's Thunder campaign. And he, you know, he is such a busy guy. He had so much going on in his life, but he would show up for that session. And I swear the joy that was on his face every night we played warmed my heart more than anything you know he his character was just he he played a paladin he committed to it he was always role-playing and uh, you know he you could just tell he had a sincere love of the game and uh i i live for those moments and he said something similar once the idea that when you talk about those moments you experience them you right. share them and what's so cool about D and about these official adventures is you and I have both played Waterdeep Dragon Heist. We know exactly what you know what we're saying. That's something you miss with two people running their own homebrew. You need to explain a lot of background. But right, if you say yeah. the Castle Lanterns, I know immediately who you're talking about. We might yeah. have had a different Castle Lantern. Um, I I didn't have them at all in my game, but I read them and I thought they were awesome. And it's cool to see that somebody you know catches somebody that early and uh, that idea that. Um, I always try to remind myself, you got to root for the players. So when yeah. they do get those moments like that and they do kind of derail it, how does the game change that? The big reveal is now the first reveal. It's, it's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a, it's such a fantastic game and experience that part of me, I think I've said this before, part of me wishes I got into it earlier, but I'm also, cause I've been playing about four years, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also very glad that I got into it when I did like at, at the time and, in D and the world as far as like the materials available. And, and it was just kind of the perfect 
situation for me as a player and as a DM to step into and just mm-hmm. like dive headfirst into all the coolness available. It's, it's just such a great time to be playing the game. Yeah, it's awesome. And Waterdeep is really cool. Yeah, you, you mentioned uh, Norse mythology. This is not D and D at all. Have you read Norse mythology, the book by uh, Neil Gaiman? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. I've, I've listened to the book. Oh, dude, the so book. Good. I've heard it a few times over. Yeah, great, great. Telling yeah. those myths. Um, yeah, yeah. I love, I love all that stuff. That's why I'm, I'm pretty excited for the new uh, Assassin's Creed uh, that yeah. will be coming out. Yeah. I don't know if, don't know if you play video games, but uh. Oh, I saw it, and, and that might be one. You know, I'm I'm Middle Eastern, so I really liked the first Assassin's Creed because it's oh, yeah. super cool historically, you know, with Damascus and stuff. Um, but I, had, I played a few of them. I played uh, the one with Ezio and the second one. That was awesome. And then I kind of lost it because I didn't have the right console. Um, but yeah, big fan of Norse mythology. Looking forward to that. And uh, you you might appreciate it. The, the final item in all of our campaign uh, was the spear that... Uh, Loki basically when uh Hod was throwing the stone at uh yeah uh Balder it was the spear that used that he used to kill Balder the mistletoe spear yeah that was really that's cool. pretty cool yeah it's such a it's such a cool and weirdly like it feels undermined like like mm-hmm. underutilized in a lot of like modern you know whether role playing or whatever it just kind of seems to obviously it's been incorporated into comics and Marvel mm-hmm. cinematic universe but as far as like stuff people actually play, I feel like I far more often hear kind of like Roman Greek gods mm-hmm. um, when there's all this like awesome, you know, Norse stuff out there that you could dig into. It's great. Yeah. And I think that'll change too with, with God of war and, and the new game. Uh, well, I don't know when they're going to release God of war five or whatever, mm-hmm. but the way, I don't know if you played the last one, but it's amazing. I haven't, game. haven't played it yet. Oh gosh. The way they tell the myths is, is so great. And the soundtrack, everything That's one of my favorite games. Um, but they set something up at the end that is very interesting. And I'm, I'm curious how they tell the rest of the myths going forward. Very intriguing. I've, I've had it on my, uh, on my PlayStation for several months. And I've been play trying, uh, yeah, well, I've been trying, I'm trying to get through last of us before the part two comes out. So Maybe I can be like fully awesome caught well. up, but then, then I'll jump over to that for sure. Um, well, dude, anything, anything else you have coming up that you want to talk about or share that you're excited about anything you can share? Uh, I mean, I, you know, that's the hard thing. I can't really share the stuff yeah. I'm working on right now. I'm working on a project. Um, it's not currently released titled. Um, I am working, uh, co-leading with Anthony Joyce and this time, um, co-leading with, uh, empty black. Uh, we've got a great team, uh, Gordon McAlpin's returning for the layout, uh, Laura Herzbrenner um, for uh, editing. James Intracasso is actually joining us on design. Oh, nice. Um, Sadie, I can't remember Sadie's last name. Let me look it up real quick. Sadie L. Well, that makes me sad that she doesn't. Sadie Lowry, there you go. <laughs> Sadie Lowry's, Lowry is joining us on the design team. Um, and let's see, I'm hoping I'm not forgetting anybody. And Greenwood. Um, I think that's it. I think that's everybody. I want to say I am, but if I forgot anybody, I am so sorry. Well, uh, well, you can send out an apology tweet later or something. We'll send out an uh, apology tweet. That, that, that's awesome, man. Do you have a, a timeline for when, you know, people might hope to hear more about that? You know, originally it was going to be, uh, August. I think it will be sooner. Oh, and, oh. uh, here we go. Marco Bernardini is returning to do our maps. Um, oh, he nice. was the one who did that beautiful, beautiful map of Candlekeep. 
yeah, updated it's gorgeous. fourth edition. It's quite frankly better than some of the maps in, in official Wizards books. Yeah, I, I don't he, feel bad he saying he, he really blew it out of the water. Um, and I swear, if D&D gods are real, that was serious divine fortune. Ogma contacted and he sent out a random tweet. He had been affected by COVID. He was looking for work and he tagged Anthony in a post. And Anthony told me, he's like, hey, we should hire this guy and look at his maps. And I was like, yep, we need a map for this. Let's do it. I agree. Um, and he, man, I cannot believe how good a job he did on that map. It's unreal. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, and we'll, put, of course, put a link to um, all of Justice stuff, his site and his DM Guild stuff. If you want to be able to go check it out, we'll put all that in the show notes. Um, so you guys can go check it out after the episode. And yeah, dude, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Where can people check you out? Uh, where can they find your website? Where can they find you on social media? Um, my website is www.justicearmin.com. Thankfully, I have a unique enough name that it wasn't taken. Um, I put my portfolios on there. I write blogs. Uh, I just did a blog about an alternative uh, Elf Song Tavern encounter for Descent to Avernus. Uh, it was super cool. I played my guitar for it uh, here at our house, and it went really well. And uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at justice underscore Armin. Um, and then, yeah, that's it. Is there someone out there with the uh, with the same name who got to the the underscore list version? I think it you? was me, and I just can't remember which email I used. Dude, that happened to me. I was an early, early adopter, like on Gmail <laughs> beta, and I got my first last name at gmail.com. And that was like, I don't know, junior high or high school. Can for the, not for the life of me, can I remember the password or any way to get in? <laughs> and so I have like a number one at the end of my Gmail address. We now are our own worst enemies. It's true. It's true. I can't delete my MySpace because I used like some middle school email. Oh my God. Well, and it got destroyed at the end of the year. Is so it still up? Is it like a time it. capsule of your, uh, of like your middle school years? I, I managed to delete mine a while back, but uh, I kind of <sighs> wish I still had it. I didn't even remember. I'm afraid to look. I'm, I think I'll just die. <laughs> just of let it be. Oh man. Yeah. Well, dude, thank you so much for, for being on and Patreon supporters. Don't forget you can stick around after the outro music. Cause we're going to keep talking to justice. Um, I think we said that we were going to chat about Halloween. You said you're kind of into Halloween, right? Oh yeah. We're going to talk about Halloween. I'm super pumped. I'm already planning. Super, for it. I, I assume, uh, nightmare before Christmas might come up at some point. Maybe, maybe not. Is that, is that a thing? Oh yeah. Okay. All right. Of so, course, so we'll dig into everything. Halloween. Um, that zone of truth segment is brought to you by my awesome, awesome, uh, backers from Smuggler's Coffee. Dave over at Smuggler's Coffee is always brewing up great, great coffee in the barrel room there outside of Chicago. Make sure you go check them out, store.smugglerscoffee.com. They just make the, the, some of the most delicious coffee in the universe. If you love nerdy stuff and you love coffee, you definitely need to go check it out. Um, you guys know I like to talk about their barrel-aged coffees that they throw in these whiskey and bourbon and rum barrels to soak up all that delicious goodness and make just uh, a truly unique coffee. Um, I have one just about every morning. So very excited to work with them and appreciate their support of the show store.smugglerscoffee.com. Make sure that you guys go check them out. And if you are not a Patreon supporter, uh, please remember that you can support the show financially. It means a lot to me that you do. It helps me use a technology that lets me bring you these awesome interviews. You can go to patreon.com slash for persuasion. If you want to support the show there, I greatly appreciate it. And of course, you can get in touch with the show at Roll Persuasion on both Instagram and Twitter. I love chatting with people on there, so go check it out, rollforpersuasion.com if you want to know where to go and subscribe. But really, the easiest way is if you jump on that app you're listening to right now and you just click that subscribe button, it's a great way to go. 
We appreciate your reviews on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser.com. Those always help us and mean a lot to me on a personal level. So thanks again to Justice for being with me. We will talk in just a few more minutes. But until next time, dear listeners, enjoy your games. Enjoy your games.